I'm Jim Newman of the Life, the Universe, and Everything Else podcast, and I took a left at the valley. I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists. You know, we don't have non-astrologers and all that. But with religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims. That's something to be ashamed. I'm an atheist. And here we go again. Coming at you from the Absurdity Factory, this is Left of the Valley. My name is Kevin, and I'd like to remind you of the fact that the average human body contains enough bones to make an entire skeleton. Joining me as usual is a team that figured out that the equator is apparently long enough to wrap around the world exactly once. <laughs> she brilliantly deducted that there are more people alive now than when there were fewer. Nancy. Wow, and they all had enough bones to make skeletons. That's this is, right. I think I may have one missing. I'm going to take time out to find it out. It must be a funny bone. It's a funny bone. <laughs> I know that one is in place. <laughs> she calculated that three out of four people make up 75% of the population. Teresa. Oh, boy. <laughs> Nancy's got way more uh, answers than I do. And his extensive travels have revealed that every 60 seconds in Africa, a whole minute passes. Scott. Never. 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 <laughs> Guys, welcome back. I hope you had a good week. Oh, yeah, it's good to be back in the absurdity factory where I belong. <laughs> I found a home at last. The wandering Jew has found a home at last. <laughs> well, this is going to be a serious show, as we can tell. Uh, we'll be talking to our friend, uh, back by popular demand, David Fitzgerald, a bit later on. But for now, let's do a bit of chit-chat. I've got lots of news to go on this week. Uh, remember last week when we talked about uh, the... Um, the attack on London, in London? Uh-huh. Uh, apparently, the Huffington Post reports that last Sunday, a fair amount of women, of Muslim women, held hands across the bridge uh, in London to condemn the attack. But very few, there was very little press on this. I saw that on, on my news feed. Um, yeah. yeah, I, I saw I, it on a news feed as well. Yeah. No, no numbers were mentioned. I mean, there, was, there were pictures, but I mean... Why no reports from the media? Isn't that the one thing we give, a lot of people say right away is the, the moderate Muslims should really condemn these kind of attacks? And here they are doing so, and yet nobody's reporting on this. I don't know. I didn't, to tell you the truth, and maybe you did, Scott, I didn't, I didn't see what the source, who the source was of that No, of I that didn't. Picture. Oh, I, I, I wasn't paying attention I've to the seen, source. I've only seen this one in the Huffington Post. Yeah. Unless, I haven't seen anybody else. Unless it got more international coverage than it, who, I have no idea. I have no idea. Maybe they got something in London, over, uh, in England, obviously, uh, the Independent Telegraph or something. Uh, we know that our news is kind of filtered. Yeah, yeah. I, I hate to say that, but it is. We only see the news that they want us to see, so. It's still better news than the Americans. Um, locally, uh, Bombardier apparently gives $32 million $32.6 million to executives in bonuses while begging to, for government subsidies. You know the company? They laid off thousands and they, um, they gave a 50% increase to the top five executives. What company is this? Bombardier. 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 Oh. I have seen English. Bombardier. There you go. Bombardier. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, the feds gave him $372.5 million loan last month with Quebec. Uh, gave one billion dollar in exchange for forty nine point five percent of the uh, of the state, 
and uh, and Bombardier still announced 14,500 jobs cut worldwide. Ooh, you suck! Yet they paid 32.6 million. This is disgusting. Yeah, uh, I had read, and I believe it was yesterday. I don't know if anyone else saw this. I thought that the top person at Bombardier also took a pay cut now because oh, really? of the out, because of the outcry from that. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, the la- the the backlash on that one. I think the top guy actually took a pay cut. What announced a, his own pay what, cut. What a ten dollars just to. <laughs> I, I don't know what the cut was. I didn't dig too far into the story. Because he gave up. He gave up. Two Starbucks coffees. Yeah, she can be coupon. Yeah, it's it's an an after the fact thing, and and really these bozos at the top should have been taking pay cuts right from the start. Yes, exactly. And saying, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna cinch our belts tighter and and penny pinch, and we're gonna take the cuts because we know that we're hurting employees, our employee base. It's it's sad that it takes you know the the backlash from the press and people getting up in arms and say, what the hell are you guys doing? Because you, you could tell right away that these people, are, they're just trying to get away with it. You know, they're trying. And then Sense they get of caught. entitlement. Exactly. And they get, Thank they goodness get for free press. You okay. know, if it wasn't for the press, there are a lot of things that would still be in the closet mm. that would that, that need airing that would never come out. Exactly. Uh, on a sadder note, the UN says there are now 5 million Syrian refugees. Houston, we have a problem. Mm-hmm. 5 million. After six years of war. Turkey has apparently taken most Syrians, uh, around 2.97 million, and Lebanon and Jordan are close behind. Um, it's kind of sad to see that after six years. And uh, I feel really bad. Well, I feel bad for everyone, everyone, of course, all the Syrians, but especially the children. Oh. These children don't have, they don't have, even have a childhood now. No. They're completely it, affected by the war. It's, it's so difficult to watch the, the videos of all the suffering. And I know they're, the news people are doing that to create much mm-hmm, more awareness, mm-hmm. to put pressure on various governments to allow more of the Syrians in. I don't know whether it's working or not, but, you know, to focus on children, it's heartbreaking. It it's is heartbreaking. absolutely heartbreaking. I mean, uh, and, and, you know, this, when you you get 5 million people, this, well, it's actually more than 5 million that are displaced. You get 5 million refugees, but many more of them are displaced. Um to, to, to close your doors as a country because you might find one terrorist in there or two terrorists in there, I think, is cruel. It's, it's not like you can send these people back to their country. They have it's nothing. an excuse. It it is. It's it, an excuse it, it totally not is. to accept them. It, it totally is. It totally yeah. what, what some of these countries are, are finding, though, and this is something that's been realized, when you take in, what did you say, Jordan and... Jordan, Lebanon, and uh, Turkey was the one who took the most? They, they took all those people in. Those people are now looking for work. Yes. I mean, they can't live off, off government dole. Yeah. Um, where do the jobs come from? And, and this is one of the problems that countries take huge numbers of refugees in. These people want to work. They of want, course. They want to produce for themselves. But there is no work. There wasn't, there wasn't enough work for the people living in the country originally. And now you've added all of those people. I'm not sure you now, can see that. There's an entrepreneurial Syria. side to that. Oh, yes, of course. Right? So these people are going to find their own way. They are going to be productive members of society. But in the meantime, there's turmoil in those countries because the, their systems are strapped. The, uh, the social systems are strapped, and, and there's just no way to feed these people or take care of them. And realistically, but... I, um, 
very uh, ne speaking very negatively, a, a portion of uh, that population is going to become radicalized because they don't have any place else to go, and they'll oh, be yeah. vulnerable to promises that if they join ISIS or join other other groups, that if they don't have a reward on earth, it will happen in heaven, and and they they will comply. I, I'd be don't you think? I'd be curious to I see the so. numbers on that because you know if you if you're a Syrian refugee, let's say you're a doctor and you run away with your family and you're you're moving to Turkey, Turkey's geez, you're a doctor, come on in, you know? Yeah, yeah, I they're going to accept. I, I think, I think it's, a, it's 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 a disservice when we say they're Syrian uh, they're Syrian refugees and you equate them right away to welfare. I think I think that's a, well, that, and and, I, and there will be a welfare, percentage of that, but you've got to look at the fact that they're. A lot of them, even if they are in uh, heavy industry, maybe mm -hmm. scientists, uh, possibly uh, jour journeymen, journeymen in their trades, but they there is no job waiting for them. So now they're in the system because there's no way for them to make money because there's no position for them to fill. And this creates turmoil in the country that they move into. And when the countries accept huge numbers of them, now you've got a problem yeah. because they're either displacing people who already have jobs or they're waiting for their opportunity to get a job, to, to develop those jobs, right? So you, you get back to the old argument, is it economics versus being human? Oh, it is. Yeah. It, it's purely economics at that point. Yeah. Um, would, I, would I ever say, no, don't accept them? No, we find a way to make it work. Yeah, exactly. Right? exactly. That's what we do as, as human beings. We, we find a way to accept them. Yeah, I mean, during the Great Migration, uh, after the First World War, just before it, America, America absorbed, the United States absorbed um, a lot of refugees, and there wasn't room for them right at first. That they started at the bottom, and as they learned the language and uh, learned the system, they did get absorbed. They got their education, and then they filled a lot of jobs that the, the current U.S. population didn't necessarily want to fill. So there was that acceptance and um, the enlarging of opportunities and maybe that will I mean, we can't take all those three countries and lump them together we'll have to see how they'll have to see how it goes yeah yeah well a lot of european countries are running into the same yeah. issue with the refugees exactly. and, and it is there's turmoil caused but like the old saying goes and this too shall pass these people <laughs> will integrate into the society and they will find their place you would have made a great moment yeah. scott <laughs> and from the LOL files, uh, I'm going to throw up. <laughs> anybody who do, who knows me knows that I'm I'm not a conservative in any way, shape, or form. And but I was looking at the um, conservatives in the leadership race in Canada, and these people are loonies. Shudder the thought. Oh, they had they had a week that makes you wonder what the hell is that really the best the cream of the crop these people can find? Steve Blaney. You know Steve Blaney? He's one of the leaders, apparently. He sent an email with the title, Should Allah Kill All the Jews? Question mark. <laughs> he was in the public uh, safety department under Harper. And, of course, he answers, I don't think so. But what the hell? You don't send like, an email when you're in public fear. <sighs> so, and not to be outdone, Kylie Leach. She buys ad in the Rebel Media website. Remember the Rebel Media website? That's from uh, Ezra Levant. Oh, my. He's like the far right. He's trying to bring the uh, kind of Fox News North up here in Canada, which is, of course, his site was, uh, was um, one of the hosts was actually praised by neo-Nazis. So <laughs> she, she likes draconian immigration laws. Of course, not to be outdone <laughs> by them, the Wild Rose Energy Critic offers the NDP 
free tickets to an event bashing climate change. Oh. This is Drew Barnes. <laughs> There's a little group, a national turf group called the Friends of Science. <laughs> with, friends like, with friends like that, you don't need enemies, yeah, yeah. says the old saying. Goes. Exactly. These are climate change deniers, but they oh. use the Friend of Science moniker <laughs> to try to make you swallow that climate change is a hoax. And he decided, he said that he's going to buy a ticket for the, for the NDP. Um, oh, my God. Uh, and, of course, last but certainly not least, our old friend, Kevin O'Leary. Your favorite. Oh, he wants to uh, override the Constitution to crack down on <laughs> American Over- refugees. Override oh. the Constitution. To crack down on American refugees. What Build that wall. Build that wall. <laughs> what a novel idea. Let's just throw the Constitution away and make up our own rules as we go. Well, That's for, right. I for, mean, an amendment a week. You know, just to keep them coming. <laughs> for the past couple of weeks, there have been stories coming up of people crossing the border somewhere in Manitoba or Saskatchewan where there's really nobody there but snow. And there was even the story of this uh, this fellow um, from uh, originally from Africa came through the United States, and he actually lost most of his digits because of frostbite and stuff like that. And but that's a problem. That is a problem to Kevin O'Leary, and that's a big, big issue apparently. And he the wants the to problem. Oh, they're the problem just pouring over the borders by the if, ones and twos. They're if, just screaming. If, if they know these people are out there coming over the border, then get a warm van out there to pick them up when they come over and take them to a hotel and make sure they're taken care of. Yeah, like, get. To Timmy's for a donut and a cup of coffee. Let's oh, okay, let's, 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 get their, the let's get their hands taken care of for the frostbite first. <laughs> so apparently he really, he wants to be involved. So they me. can roll up the rim. Let's get him in. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently our Kevin O'Leary wants to use the notwithstanding clause to allow the government to override the Constitution so we can deal with that huge American <laughs> influx. So Americans, I guess, are all Mexicans now, apparently, and <laughs> we have to build a wall. <laughs> Mr. O'Leary, oh my God, and this could be the next Prime Minister. I think the wall is going to be so O'Leary doesn't get into the state as soon as they find out who he is. No, <laughs> no, yeah. Trump will invite him in, trust me. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. Well, he's already flying from Boston to... Anyway. Oh, my. I could go on and go on. <laughs> oh, my dear Nancy, are you ready to do a bit something a bit more sane? Uh, no, but I'm ready to do this this day in history. Let's do that. <laughs> That's good. All right, here we go. We're going to do this day in history. We haven't done a, a full one for a couple of weeks, so we are ready. And as we remember, it's a roundup of those events and people who altered and illuminated the days between March 27th and April 2nd. Starting with March 28th, it was left-handed day. So all of those southpaws, let's raise our all right. hand and yes. celebrate. Yeah, we Two southpaws in here? Yeah. Yes. Wow. You guys should be eliminated. Half the, half the population in this joint. How about that? <laughs> we got equal equal time. Great. All righty. And on a left-handed day in 1915, Typhoid Mary. We always use that word now. If someone is a typhoid Mary, they're you know polluting and, and poisoning everybody else. There really was a typhoid Mary, and she was the first healthy carrier of a disease ever identified in the United States. And she was put in quarantine where she would remain for the rest of her life. She never contracted, but she gave it, and she I think she had gone to various households as a maid or as a cook or something. It's and a gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, that's right, it was. <laughs> March 29th is Youth Day, 
in China, and in 1886, the first batch of Coca-Cola was brewed over a fire in the backyard in Atlanta, Georgia, by Dr. John Pemberton, and he had created the concoction as a cure for hangover, <coughs> excuse me, stomach ache, and headache, and he advertised it as a brain tonic and intellectual beverage. By this time, the whole United States should have been smarter than <laughs> <laughs> the average bear, right? I always thought that Coca-Cola was just moonshine gone wrong. Yeah, <laughs> well, that too. So he sold it to the public a few weeks after he made it on May 8th. And it, it, as we all know, it contained cocaine as an ingredient until 1904 when it was banned by Congress. So much for brain tonic and intellectual <laughs> beverage. March 30th. I love the name of this uh, particular holiday. It's called the Baptist Spiritual Shouter Liberation Day. And it occurs in Trinidad, uh, Trinidad and Tobago or Tobago, which which is the pronunciation of that. I think it's Tobago. Tobago. I think so too. It celebrates the repeal of an ordinance in 1917 that prohibited spiritual shouter Baptists from being imprisoned for practicing their their faith. April 1st, of course, April Fool's Day. It's also Edible Book Day, an international day where edible books are created, displayed, and small events are held. And if one has to eat words... On March thirtieth, this is the best way to do it. Better than eating crow. Yeah, yes. we could bake a, bake a bake a book rather than read one, I guess. You know, you could, <laughs> could almost sort of rumor that you eat the book, you will absorb the knowledge by osmosis. That's right, and wash it down with a coke. Now we're talking. I wish. Okay, and in nineteen fifty-seven, Kevin, this is one of your favorites. In nineteen fifty-seven, one of the greatest April Fool's hoaxes ever broadcast by all the organizations happened, and BBC perpetrated what they called the Spaghetti Tree Hoax. Oh, yes. And that was a three-minute hoax um, on April Fool's Day by the BBC. And what the BBC did, um, they purportedly showed a family in southern Switzerland harvesting spaghetti from the family spaghetti tree. <laughs> now, at the time, spaghetti really wasn't known that much in the UK. So a lot of Britons were totally unaware that spaghetti was made from wheat and flour and water and was a, a uh, prepared product rather one that nature suddenly decided. They so want a spaghetti tree. <laughs> so, yeah, so a number of viewers afterward contacted the BBC for advice on how to grow their own spaghetti tree. Oh, boy. <laughs> so it was, it was a while. I don't, I, do you think it, they wanted it grown with the sauce, we think there was a sauce tree <laughs> that you could put next to the spaghetti tree and then a meatball tree. No. Just make sure you don't mix your spaghetti tree with your fettuccine tree. <laughs> <laughs> I know, that was, it was a great, great, and if anybody doubts this or anybody wants to continue how cute this was, you can actually look at, um, go to Google and you can Google the video uh, that was shown uh, by the BBC showing the harvest of spaghetti trees. So That's if beautiful. you, yeah, if you want a cute video to send to anybody, I'm wondering that the way the climate is now with with people and knowledge, what would happen if you were to make a new video a and new show one? it and show it in the conservative areas of the states and Canada? Oh, I suppose you could do it, but you'd have to pick something other than spaghetti. So once you once you find the product, it, I, I think people would would. Uh, get, you I, know, mean, I mean, it, it, the whole thing started with War of the Worlds, right? 
they they hoodwinked entire oh, you know, yeah. areas of the population right. with that. The spaghetti tree. I'm I'm wondering how far a joke like that would go now. Oh, they'd probably elect Trump. <laughs> I mean, it's unbelievable to think about, but you know, they'd swallow that. <laughs> what, what, what do you think about it? If there was a spaghetti tree, that would be irrefutable proof of the flying spaghetti. Monster. <laughs> yes, raw man. Yes. I think we've got another. May his noodly appendage touch us all. I think we've just got the makings of another. You know, another Viva La Spaghetti. We've got another. Show. We could do one of those stories of the of fighting Noah's Ark. We found a spaghetti tree, and that's true. <laughs> That's crazy. And it was on a sunken pirate ship. <laughs> 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 uh, this is a serious show. Oh, my. April the 2nd, <laughs> moving on. This is really funny. Um, this isn't funny. April 2nd is World Autism Day. But the funny thing about it is that April the 2nd has also been designated International Fact-Checking Day coming right after April Fool's Day. Oh, jeez, yeah. <laughs> I know. So, I mean, that's wonderful to have fact-checking after April's fool, April Fool's. So we could do the spaghetti thing, but then we could fact-check it the day after and bring everybody back to sanity. Yeah, but when I'm fact-checking <laughs> things, I use alternative facts. The comments is called and not necessarily those are left of the valley subsidiaries. And <laughs> <laughs> We're having too much fun. So that, dear listeners... Uh, brings to a close another passing parade of interesting, mundane, unusual, and occasionally bizarre because that's who we be in this group. <laughs> events and people that make up this day in history. Thank you very much, Nancy. Uh, you know, I can't get to let go of that spaghetti thing. You know, <laughs> what about spaghetti squash? Spaghetti squash? You mean is that included in the hoax or? I think you got right there. You got the the, the making of a legend right there. That's that's the where. Oh, that's the source of where yeah. the spaghetti. Gotcha. Yeah, there we go. Okay, <laughs> thank you. That you brought us back to fact checking day, which brings it full circle, and now we can move on. Do, oh, thank you, Kevin, uh, the host. <laughs> that's why you're the host, and we're not. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Are we doing a quack watch today, or is that no? For next, okay, no, next time? I think we. <laughs> I don't think quack watch at all. You know, we can do a quack watch um, on the spaghetti yeah, tree. On the spaghetti. <laughs> if you hear something about a spaghetti tree out there, it's <laughs> no. But what we do have, let's see, where is it? So ah. you have to feed Coca Cola to the tree, and it'll grow spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I do have a story. Let's before we talk to our friend David Fitzgerald, let's do things that make you go. Okay, this is a uh, local story. It happened in Montreal, actually. A Montreal mosque is uh, facing a police complaint and rebukes that from a larger Muslim community after a video of an imam delivering a sermon in which he asks for Jews to be cur- to be killed surfaced online. This is in Montreal. The sermon took place at the Dar al Akarma Mosque in uh, the city's Saint Michel neighborhood on the December 23rd. The video was posted at the mosque YouTube channel three days later. The imam in the video is Jordanian cleric Sheikh Mohammed bin Musa al Nasar. He was, I hope I said this right, he was reportedly invited as a guest to the mosque. In the video, the imam recites an Arabic verse, O Muslim, O servant of Allah, O Muslim, O servant of Allah, there is a Jew behind me, come and kill him. Hmm. This is happening right here in Montreal. 
Wow. But we have nothing to fear from Islam. Nothing. No, nothing of course not. No, but what was the reaction? Well, Does the C- it say? Uh, I, well, I'll continue here. The CBC okay. independently verified the speech and its translation. The controversial verse comes from a religious text known as, a, as a, one of the hadith, which interprets the words of the action by the pro- Prophet Muhammad. Uh, the hadith in question deals with end times and tells how stones and trees will ask Muslims to come and kill Jews. Because apparently... Stones and trees will do that, apparently, in the end time. Well, if spaghetti is around, why not the stones <laughs> and trees? Not? I mean, it's a logical conclusion. Uh, I believe in the spaghetti tree more. That's right. So, so the CBC in Montreal was, has reached out to the uh, Dar al-Aqam Mosque for comment and was told no one was available, of cure, of course. Uh, um, the video was brought to the attention of the uh, B'nai Birth Canada. B'nai Birth. Okay, sorry? B'nai Birth. B'nai Birth? Okay, thank you. Uh, which filed a complaint with Montreal Police... Uh, the organization said that it's totally unacceptable that a mosque would allow this to go on. They're inciting violence, essentially. Uh, what do you think should be done with that? Mm. I mean, I think that I mean, in, a, in you know, in an ideal situation, the mosque would come out and, and apologize. apologize at the very least, or he or the imam would apologize, saying I meant it, etc., etc. Well, Somehow, I, I don't think this imam would take it back. I mean, this I is I'm saying in an part. ideal world, he would say he didn't, but obviously he did mean what he said. Yeah. So I, I think, and this is this is obviously speech that he would be comfortable saying in Jordan. Mm-hmm. Up here, of course, it's not going to pass the, the mustard, right? It's I don't know. I I, th- I think they, they they really should be. I think, need, I think we need stronger hate crime laws, and we should enforce those laws well either that or do you think you know he would be required asked to go to a sensitive i mean i uh, sometimes they're laughable sensitivity classes but i wonder whether or not he could go to a b'nai b'rith group and they would talk and and be able to understand each other and you know do this that way rather than you know, well, I don't want to give the same speech at a, uh, at a Jewish, what is it, synagogue? Mm-hmm. Well, a Jewish would be a synagogue. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so why not have him go to a synagogue and give the same sermon? <sighs> well, chances are, after after this, this complaint was filed, I don't have this in the article here, but chances are that this guy just flew straight back to, to Jordan. Oh, okay. Uh, Incite violence and run away. Well, I mean, if you realize that he's going to come down on you, you're not going to stick around just in case you're charged, right? So I think this guy, most likely, and I'm, I'm speculating here, flew right back. But it, it does show that, you know, you really got to be careful, uh, not just what you say, but who you bring over to talk. About well, I, 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 think, I think the members of that mosque and members of, of the local B'nai B'rith, I think they should sit down and discuss it and form some kind of a nice partnership or at least an understanding and I think that would make everybody happy. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Of course I look at things that in a more positive way. <laughs> <laughs> but that's in an ideal world. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Can we all get along over a bowl of spaghetti? That's right. <laughs> there we go. There we there go. We go. <laughs> Thank you guys and we'll, we'll go for a pause and we'll be right back with David Fitzgerald. Stay with us. Do you know where Saskatchewan is? 
Probably not. It's in Canada. If you do, you might know a city named Regina. In Regina, there's a studio. And in that studio, there are, at least once a month, a bunch of skeptical atheist geeks and goofballs who get together to do a podcast. We are the Brainstorm Crew, and we're trying to help spread a bit of reason and critical thinking while still having fun. Never taking things too seriously, but still not accepting everything we're told, we go through different topics, exploring them in depth, and often disagreeing. We try to stick to provable facts, and we never trust a myth. That's why we say we're woo-free since 2013. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spreaker under Brainstorm. Or check out our website, brainstormblog.net. I can't promise you'll always agree with us, but I can promise you'll have fun listening to us. What is secular humanism? Critical thinking. Knowledge is freedom. Freedom from ignorance and its offspring, fear. The BC Humanist Association has been active in the Vancouver area for over 25 years. We offer a friendly and welcoming place to make new friends, as well as free educational lectures. We invite you to join us any Sunday at 10 a.m. in the Oak Ridge Senior Center. Please visit our website for more details, bchumanist.ca. Hi, I'm the Supreme Irreverend Dr. Randy Tyson from the Legion of Reason Diversion. Join me and my co-hosts, Christine Shelska, Twyla, and Nate Phelps, as we explore issues at the intersection of atheism, humanism, and skepticism. Topics range from alternative medicine to the interference of religion in public policy. We often have special guests to help us understand the topic du jour. Previous guests include biologist Jerry Coyne, ex-Muslim author Ali Rizvi, philosopher Peter Bogosian, and the late physicist Victor Stanger. You can watch us on the Legion of Reason YouTube channel or subscribe to the audio version through your favorite podcatchers such as iTunes or Stitcher. And don't forget to like the Legion of Reason Facebook page. I'm the satellite, I'm flying cross and round. When I watch you be watching me from the solid ground from the solid ground oh so lonely on and passing by no one knows me all I've ever known is a The amazing thing is that every atom in your body came from a star that exploded. And the atoms in your left hand probably came from a different star than your right hand. It really is the most poetic thing I know about physics. You are all stardust. You couldn't be here if stars hadn't exploded because the elements, the carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, iron, all the things that matter for evolution weren't created at the beginning of time. They're created in the nuclear furnaces of stars and the only way they can get into your body is if the stars were kind enough to explode. So forget Jesus. The stars died so that you could be here today. Okay? And, and anyway... All right, our next guest does not need an introduction. He is—he does have the distinct honor of being the most downloaded show 
in our podcast history ever. Woohoo! He is the amazing, talented, the incredible, charming David Fitzgerald. David, thank you so much for being with us. Welcome. <laughs> I love that guy. That guy is so awesome. <laughs> yeah, you you need to come up here and do it live, David. That's the next oh, step. <laughs> Where in Canada are you guys? We're just an hour off Vancouver. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. So we're 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 in the Fraser Valley. So theoretically, it could happen. Yeah, theoretically, you never know. Next time you're in Vancouver, we'll make, we'll we'll have something happen. <laughs> See how many more months of Trump presidency we have, and maybe I'll be right there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we have been authorized by our government to uh, extend a. <laughs> Greetings and asylums. We, we, we take refugee status from. <laughs> are, are you Don't worry, you're in. Status? <laughs> I was posting on Facebook the other day that the whole West Coast should just become Baja Canada. <laughs> oh, wicked. That would be kind of funny. And the East Coast, you know, so we'll just have the, the Midwestern United States stay together in the East Coast. Yeah, the big horseshoe, yeah. <laughs> Uh, David, uh, uh, many of our listeners do know you, but may, there might be some new listeners out there. We have probably at least five of them now. Uh, would you be so kind to give us the Reader's <laughs> Digest version of who you are? Sure. sure. Who is this guy? Who is uh, my name is David Fitzgerald, and I'm probably best known for being the author of a book from 2010 called Nailed, 10 Christian Myths That Show Jesus Never Existed at All. And I also did a book uh, a little after that about the Mormons, and I've just come out with a follow-up book to Nailed. Uh, it's part of the uh, the series we call the, the Complete Heretics Guide to Western Religion, and this one is called Jesus Mything in Action. And basically, what it does is takes all the arguments I hear from atheists who try to tell me that oh no, we've got good evidence that there was a guy named Jesus, and points out that. Whether there was a Jesus or not, we don't have good evidence for him at all. Excellent, excellent. And we'll get a lot more into that. But for now, we'll do our favorite segment that we all like, called Another Brilliant Moment, brought to you by religion. Now, did you guys know that ancient mummies can give you some medical advice? Hmm. And of course, during a segment of the 700 Club, a viewer with multiple sclerosis told a man who won the most likely will be resembling melted ice cream contest, Pat Robertson, that she feels abandoned by God because she frequently watches his show in hopes of being healed during his faith healing segment, but has so far seen no results. What? Sherlock. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Robinson replied that the healing, in fact, is for everyone and that he has personally witnessed and has been involved in miraculous healing of MS. Quote, so clearly it's her fault. <laughs> totally, totally. Quote, I know this sounds strange, but I do believe there is a spiritual component in MS. It's like a demonic. It's one of those things that you literally have to cast out, he said. I have been with pe seeing people with MS get up out of a wheelchair and push the wheelchair out of the room where we were. I've seen it. I've been involved in it. It worked uh, almost as well. They've been faking it the whole time. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Those nasty demons, they interfere with everything Why? Pat Robertson wants to do. Why it's doesn't Pat Robertson just tour all the hospitals in the country? Why is he just stuck there where he is? Why do I keep feeling like I want to be sick? <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Those nasty demons against God. That's why. Well, the MS demons, they're, no, they're, they're quite notorious, right? Yeah. Oh. Oh. They probably give him unclean dreams at night, too. 
You know, maybe if it did, it would make a better person out of them. I don't know. I, I do have a pet theory that uh, Pat Roberts has been dead for years. They just store him out every time they put him on the show and put him back in the freezer. After. He's been along for way too long. Uh, so, on that tree moment, I've got another nice little story. Uh, apparently, a Harvard Library website that offers the ways to spot fake news. I know this is very big right now, fake news. Uh, links to a non-Harvard Google Doc with tips for analyzing news sources. The document lists hundreds of false, misleading, misleading, clicky bait, or satirical news sources, and the list includes the Institution for Creation Research. As soon as they learned of it, they contacted the assistant professor behind the list, a Harvard journalism web resource that uh, linked to the list, and the Harvard library that also linked to the list. Our respectful request for removal from the list, they say. After all, ICR.org does not report false news, misleading news, clickbait, or satire. Without a variety of results. <laughs> Do you know oh, you meant unintentional satire. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Our respectful re- uh, <laughs> um, this initial request uh, for removal state that ICR news report includes contribution from scientists with terminal degrees terminal degrees <laughs> from prestigious universities including Harvard. Should those who kick ICR to the curb likewise consider these institutions as gutter dwellers? So in other words, <laughs> if you have a uh, if you have a uh, an engineer from Harvard who said that biology is debunked, like Henry Morris did. <laughs> then I guess you should be kicking all of Harvard to the curb because this guy graduated from Harvard. That's their logic. <laughs> so the false news list originally noted ICR's inclusion on the list for reason labeled as junk science. Quote: ICR actually tries to expose some junk science. We also pass tests listed on the false doc. For example, a website URL does not end with LO or com. Point co. We specify authorship, post vetted articles instead of unscreened blog posts, and we use standard front configurations. Blah, 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 blah. Now, let's be PC. There is no junk science. There's only alternate facts. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly it was a talking snake. Clearly it was a talking snake. <laughs> oh, my God. This show is gone. <laughs> Uh, so I've lost my st- my spot here. <laughs> Go ahead, try to keep going. Go ahead, try oh, to keep going with a straight face, Kevin. <laughs> um, Your challenge of the week. <laughs> they keep going. They say many find it easier to simply label the Bible as junk than to actually investigate it. If they peered inside, they would find that the Bible is painfully true, to the point that it exposes <laughs> that junk. <laughs> He's half right it. anyway. <laughs> Sorry. He's half right anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Painfully true, yes. <laughs> uh, we challenge readers to search for the little bit junk on icr.org, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so, any thoughts on uh, how we should respond to these creationist butter? <laughs> <laughs> I think Obamacare covers that. <laughs> <laughs> Not for long. <laughs> That's her answer to the, to, to the creationist. Oh, my God. Uh, well, thank you so much for that, guys. I wanted your opinion, but we just laughed it all out. It just said it all. <laughs> all right, so, David, let's talk about you and your book. Uh, so, so, your new book, Jesus Mythic in Action, is out That's now? Right. It is out now. I'm so delighted that... I've ordered okay. my copy, and you should do the same. 
all of you. I'm talking to all of you here. Yeah. Yes, of course. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, so what can you tell about your book? Um, it's, okay, as you know, Nailed took on the top ten ways that the, the, the official story of Jesus just doesn't hold water. Just not cut it. And um, it really was meant to take all the wind out of the sails of Christians who are trying to tell us that, oh, we, you know, that, yeah, it's, it's incontrovertible that there was a Jesus. Um, in fact, I had a chapter in there called, Can Jesus Be Saved? Where I said, if all these things were different, maybe we would have a better chance of thinking that there had actually been a Jesus. But um, it, it, but it doesn't hold water. When I wrote that book seven years ago, I thought, okay, that's all that needs to be said, really, honestly. Um, but one of the things that surprised me wasn't that Christians hated the book so much, because they sure did. We <laughs> didn't just disagree with it. I mean, that's nothing special. But they hated the book. They were All their red flags for uh, pseudoscience and alt-science were going off the chart saying, oh, this is fake history. This is, um, you know, creationism for atheists. That was my favorite line they gave. And um, so it became pretty obvious pretty soon that I was going to have to write a book Talking, dealing with these atheist arguments, and that's what Jesus Mything in Action is. Um, it talks about why the state of biblical studies and the state of Jesus studies in particular, and it goes into our sources for Jesus because the first thing you need to say, if you only know what Jesus really said or really did or who he was or what he was, you have to ask, well, what's our sources for this? And that's what we do in the book is we go through the sources, um, starting with the Gospel of Mark which is our original biographical source of Jesus, mm -hmm. then all the other Gospels that were taken from that one, and then we go into the rest of the New Testament, the earliest Christians, what their Jesus was like, why it was different from the Jesus of the Gospels. And the last thing I do is, um, it's called The Gospel According to H.G. Wells, where I take a note from uh, uh, Cosmos, Neil deGrasse Tyson, and Carl Sagan, and the way they did with a spaceship that could go anywhere in time and space, I do with a time machine and go through a little evolutionary history of Christianity and, and, and then kind of a you are there sort of a thing. Nice. nice. Yeah. It's very fun. And I was, it, well, it's three books. It's a three volume set. And it didn't start out that way. But um, when I was talking to uh, Dave Smalley, my audiobook guy, um, I was telling him, yeah, it's kind of a big book. It's about 500 pages, and so I'm hoping that's not going to be a problem. He says, wait, you said that the word count was how much? I said, well, it's about a quarter of a million words. And the page count was what? And I said, well, it's about 500. He says, okay, is that 8.5 by 11, or is that 6 by 9? <laughs> oh, so it turns out the book is closer to 900 pages. So that's why it's three books. Oh. And that's why that's why there's a three-book series and then tucked in the middle of a other... Oh, series ongoing series now um, so you did the voiceover yourself haven't done that yet that's okay. next but we've got the ebook and the, the paperback is out oh fantastic fantastic yeah so so in in going back to the the, the arguments uh, you said like the, the gospel of mark is your base now correct me if i'm wrong but mark is the basis for all the other gospels right exactly exactly and what's funny about that is it's the the most no frills low rent fallible human Jesus we've got. Um, it's the least impressive Jesus of all of them. He's a kind of a sad sack Jesus, and he <laughs> dies in misery on the cross. You know, he doesn't, we don't even hear what his teachings are or anything like that. It's basically the story of this guy who dies on the cross to become our Savior, basically. Um, and he's, he doesn't even start out as the Son of God. He gets adopted as the Son of God at his baptism. Mm. And because he's so 
obedient. He's exalted to Lord at his death. And when you read when you read the gospel the way the early Christians did, you know, the first Christians didn't have him as a uh, as a guy who had been on earth at all. Mm-hmm. Um, he was completely mythological, completely off camera. When you when you had Mark write his gospel, um, it seems really clear that it was an allegory, and that he even expected the more well-read members of his audience to recognize it as that, because he's got places that didn't exist before he wrote his gospels that have very apt names, like Arimathea, doesn't really exist. It never was, <laughs> there's no attestation for it uh, before the Gospels are written, and that's the only place it's attested to for hundreds of years until they start guessing it. every single place that starts with an A or an R. Well, maybe that's Arimathea, you know. No, that's Ramathoin. No, that's something that, you know. <laughs> anything that, that sounded even remotely close to Arimathea, they would say that was the side of it. But there never was an Arimathea, and, and Richard Carey has pointed out that Arimathea in Aramaic basically means best discipleville. So you get all these things that are clearly allegorical, these character names that are clearly allegorical, um, making a story that's taking elements from the old Hebrew scriptures and creating a biography for somebody that was a mystery faith god before that. Hmm. So, okay, so, so and, and on top of that, if correct me if I'm wrong yet again, apparently there are parts of Mark that are uh, added on after the, uh, the original author. Yeah. Absolutely, and most notable about that is the ending of, of Mark, which originally ends with the women running from the tomb and not telling anyone. And that's kind of his nudge, nudge, wink, wink to the audience. And that's why you've never heard this story before, is because those silly women went out and they didn't tell anybody. To be continued. To be continued. And then, of course, that was never going to sit. So we've got at least three different endings to the Gospel of Mark that we know of, um, including the ones that are in our Bible. Um and then you've got Matthew, Mark, you know, uh, Matthew, Luke, and then late, much later, John, mm. after that. Yeah. But by the time we get to Luke and John, we're already talking about the second century. Wow. Yeah. So, so uh, besides, there are other, other Gospels that people don't really talk about, you know, the, the Gospel of uh, Peter, the Gospel of uh, sure. Thomas. Have you ever had a chance to take a look at these? Sure. In fact, it's fascinating. You see the story starting very small with Mark. Then Matthew comes along and corrects a lot of his mistakes about Judaism. Then Luke comes around and, and makes his Jesus even tougher and, and more more godly, more inflappable than Matthew's. John comes around and his uh, Jesus doesn't even pretend to be anything but God walking around in the flesh. And he, It's ridiculous when you read John's Gospel, really, because it's like, how did this guy not get stoned for blasphemy to death at, you know, five minutes out of the gate? He's kicking ass uh, and taking names, right? I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. And he's such a, he's such a douchebag, too. He's such a cruel <laughs> public <laughs> And anti-Semitic. Well, when you get outside the Bible, then you get Gospels like the Gospel of Peter. And the Gospel of Peter was super popular. It was much more popular than the Gospel of Mark um, at the time. In fact, we're lucky to still have the Gospel of Mark, because... Basically, Matthew is Mark 2.0. Luke steals from Matthew and Mark, you know. Um, and, yeah, it could be completely gone, and no one would have missed it, because the Gospel of Peter is even more awesome. It's got, you know, Jesus comes out of the, the grave, and he's suddenly 500 feet tall. There's these 500 feet tall angels helping him out, and then the cross comes out of the grave, and the cross starts talking. It's got a talking cross. Oh, you know? wow. 
That's what we're dealing with. I would have loved to see a 500 foot tall Jesus fight Godzilla. <laughs> yeah. I would have loved to see that on. Somebody needs to make that video. I'd watch that movie. <laughs> I'd watch, I'd totally watch that. Yeah. <laughs> and then you've got, you got these weird beard gospels like the Gospel of Thomas. And the Gospel of Thomas, we don't even, wouldn't even think of it as a gospel because it's a saying source. It's a group of the, all these connected sayings. And it, it, it implies, if not says outright, that you get saved by knowing the secret wisdom that Jesus taught. And here it is from the Gospel of Thomas, who was Jesus' twin. Thomas actually isn't the name. It's the Hebrew word for twin. Uh, in fact, it was the uh, name for the constellation, the twins, in Hebrew, or Aramaic, I forget which, I believe Hebrew. Wow. Um, so you've got, and this, the, the whole Doubting Thomas character just seems to be a, you know, another spin, another mutation on the Jesus story, because his name is supposed to be Thomas Didymus the Twin. Well, Didymus means twin, Thomas means twin, so you've got twin, twin, the twin. You know, this is the kind of names we're talking about in here. Call me Twin Square. Yes, Twin Square, yeah. I'm Twin Twinlington, the twin. I think they were trying to make a point there. Absolutely, absolutely. And the, and the thing is that we don't quite notice it, but they expected their readers to get that. You that's know, cut, that's the ones who knew, they would know what they were doing. They were really talking about these highfalutin spiritual things like astrology and numerology. <laughs> but the, the common folk would just think of it was a great story. <laughs> and it worked because as soon as, some, as soon as Mark writes a story of Jesus as a biography, everybody loved it. You know, it was, you didn't have to be smart. You could, you could be you know, dumb as a post and still appreciate the story. Why are you looking at me when you say that? <laughs> Everyone's looking at you, Kevin. I know, I know. Well, uh, oh, this just in from one of our listeners. <laughs> Ask David how he came with uh, with uh, with the title. It says a great title, Mything in Action. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, uh, once you have a title like that, you have to write the book, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah which came first, the title or the book? <laughs> it came well, to him in the dream. Yes. <laughs> it, it came to him in a beautiful dream from heaven. Yes. Angels brought Was there uh, a talking serpent in that dream? <laughs> well, I, knew, I knew I I had to have myth in the title somehow. And you know, you read enough Robert Aspirin books, you get out and make sure you don't steal one of his titles. And then the mything in action, it just once you hit that, it just it was perfect. The the double meaning was just irresistible. Hmm. Now I know a lot of uh, um, even atheists that that believe that uh, Jesus was a person and all that, and they always cite Bart Ehrman. They always sure. go for Bart Ehrman. The, sure. In, in which argument do you think that Bart Ehrman has that is compelling to you, or or are they easily debunked? All of them. I haven't read him myself. Gotcha. Well, I, I, like I said, I love Bart Ehrman. I've been saying for years that for such a staunch historicist, he's one of the best mythicist writers out there. <laughs> and he's kind of sitting on a branch that he sawed off years ago. I, Robert Christ <laughs> made that comment. Um, and it's been interesting to see when he wrote Did Jesus Exist? Then he wrote, you know, from uh, Jesus to Christ, from how Jesus became God or Christ became God. Um, and he, as he's getting further and further, he's realizing that things that he was taking as established facts aren't quite as established as you know he thought they were. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really curious to see what's his what's he going to be writing about in five or ten years, you know, oh, wow. um, as he gets in, more into it. Uh, it. Actually, before we get too far down this rabbit hole, that's one thing I want to say to all those atheists out there who are convinced that there was a Jesus or maybe a couple Jesuses that got 
you know, amalgamated. Um, this isn't a fight between mystithists and historicists. This is a fight between people who take mythicism seriously and those that dismiss it out of hand. Mm. The reason we, the reason it's even worth arguing about for atheists is not because it's the death knell for Christianity. It is. It's kryptonite for Christianity. But what for us, for as atheists, everything we learn in the back and forth between this argument, between the guys who say, oh yeah, there was a Jesus, and the guys who say, nah, I don't think so, everything we learn helps call the bluff of anybody out there who's trying to say that they know what Jesus thought and how Jesus wants you to behave and think and vote. Mm. This blows all that out of the water. Mm. Because... Um, at the end of the day, I don't think there was a Jesus, full stop, and there's many reasons for that. But even if there was a Jesus, as Robert Price has pointed out, for all extents and purposes, there isn't one anymore, because everything that we know about that guy comes from sources that were written to have nothing to do with anybody who actually lived in the first century. Mm, yes, yes, indeed. And that is good for atheists to know. I've got I've got a friend of mine who's a who's starting to be a, become a Christian apologist, and uh, oh. we we get into the base him and I he's a he's a really nice Christian you know and uh, yeah. I'm not going to name him but <laughs> he he always challenges me he says he says it's not fair he says you know uh, you're telling me that you don't think Jesus existed but yet you're not applying the same standard of evidence that you are applying for example Alexander the Great he says we have very little evidence for Alexander the Great either what would your response to that be? The opposite is true. It's like everything we have on anybody in the ancient world, Alexander is a great example. We have multiple lines of evidence that support the, the idea that there was a, an Alexander the Great as opposed to just a myth of Alexander the Great or a legend of Alexander the Great. Mm. Um, we've got physical evidence. We've got written evidence. We've got uh, the actual physical brute facts that things could not have happened unless he actually had taken his army and gone through all these places and conquered them. Um, you, you couldn't just fake that. Whereas everything we know about Jesus, you could it could all be explained by people believing what someone told them about that. That you know that even if there had been a Jesus, he basically is irrelevant for what became Christianity. Yeah, I guess I guess it's very hard to ignore uh, the scarring an army can leave on the on the landscape. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Even linguistics, linguistics left its mark on there. And there's Greek cities out in Asia that were lost for hundreds of thousands of years, mm. maybe hundreds, yeah. Um, but, but again, yeah, it's everything, everything that gives us confidence. And every, every historical claim, full stop, is weighted according to how much confidence we have in it. And when you look at the evidence for them, that's how certain we can be. We can be, real, we can be certain there is a guy named Paul who was there. We can be certain that most of what we know about him is not true, and that half of what he wrote was not written by him. We can be reasonably confident that there was a John the Baptist, but it's not a full lock, not as certain as it is for Paul. And we, we look at the evidence for Jesus, not only do we not have evidence we should have, but we also have evidence like the book of Hebrews and some of the ways that the, the epistle writers and the Jesuits talk about him. That's like, okay, why would you be saying that if this was a real guy who, who really existed? Um, we've got all these things that didn't make it, early Christian writings that didn't make it into the Bible mm -hmm. that say things like, oh, 
the way uh, Jesus appeared to humanity was there was this beautiful star, and it broke all the magical spells and freed everyone. It's like, whoa, we didn't hear that story from anybody, you know. That's not that's not the Bethlehem star you're talking about. No, I, I um, the, the, the the Matthew story of the zombies rising from the grave and walking. Exactly, and, yeah. yeah. We, have, we have great... Uh, historical accounts of boring-ass things that were happening in Jerusalem at that time. But somehow everyone misses the, the joint earthquakes and the uh, the mass zombie resurrection. Yeah. <laughs> you know, at the time, and, zombies weren't that popular, I guess. And you know what cracks me up is apologetics will, apologists will use arguments like, oh, no, we have evidence that there was earthquakes in Bithynia and, and, and uh, uh, these other places. And it's like, yeah, we have evidence for earthquakes in other places. So why don't we have evidence in Jerusalem, you know? Those are 500 miles away, and you're saying that's supposed to be evidence of your earthquake in Jerusalem? Yeah, no. It doesn't work that way. So, uh, for yourself, David, what for you was the the nail in the coffin that turned For me? You, yeah. Personally? The one that was more convincing uh, to you. Well, it took about two years before of increasingly going... But for, first of all, what... The first red flag for me was when I realized, wait, this is all the evidence we have? This is it? And how shaky it was. Mm. And then realizing, for me, it boiled down to this one central paradox that either Jesus said all these amazing new teachings or did all these amazing miracles, you know, and no one noticed outside his little bitty cult for, you know, 100 years or more. Or he didn't do these things. He didn't teach these remarkable things even. And yet, as soon as he's dead, you have all these feuding little cults scattered all over the empire, not just in Jerusalem, not just in Galilee, but in, you know, Alexandria, in Syria, in Greece, in Rome. And they can't agree about the first thing about who this guy was or who hung out with him or what he taught. And it's like that, that alone, that just sheer fact alone, I knew something was up. And then when you start reading like Earl Doherty, Richard Carrier, Robert Price, it's like, yeah, I'm not the only one saying this stuff here. Hmm. Yeah. Is it is it true that you know uh, at the time of his supposed uh, life there were several candidates for messianic? Savior, oh, absolutely! Right? In fact, I talk about them in the book. There's about fifteen that I talk about, um, and these are just the ones we know of. You know, there were probably more of them because this time was a messianic caught time. So, uh, and I even talk about why that is, why why the early first century became that time. And, th and this is what bothers me because it seems that even these guys that it, you know these these candidates for Messiah, yeah, didn't really do anything remarkable, right? Yet and yet left to and print. yet exactly that's exactly it. They did something Jesus didn't do, and that the historians took notice of them. And that, that's amazing yeah. to me. I mean, he, uh, yeah. and we do have contemporary writings about these people. Yep, and for, we do. And for and apparently the most charismatic man of all time, we've got nothing. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, we're supposed to have, he's supposed to have had attracted multitudes. And, and here's the thing, um, and I'm mostly concerned what secular historians are saying about Jesus, because Christian historians, they're already out the window. It's mm -hmm. like, yeah, you believe that the zombies came out in Jerusalem and, and no one noticed that either. It's like, that's just not going to wash. But for Christian historians, what they tend to do is they say, okay, here's our things. We'll just snip out all the things that couldn't have happened and the miracles here, and whatever's left must be the truth of what happened. And it doesn't quite work that way. Some of these stories only make sense if they're making the point that this miracle happened, you know. Um, if nothing happened, then you can't have a story around it, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Completely lost my train of thought now. And then... Well, it's the secular historians 
who are saying that, oh, no, if we just sort out the miraculous, what we have left is the truth. And even the mundane aspects of Jesus' life don't hold up. His trial, for instance. Um, Bart Ehrman's pointed this out, that none of the, the reconstructed Jesuses that we have have any can make sense of why the Romans would have given a rat's ass about him, let alone kill him, and why the, the, the Jews didn't just stone death for blasphemy, if, and why, in fact, the charge of blasphemy doesn't even hold up, you know. Mm. Um, and as you point out, there are all these other messiahs at the time, too, um, who didn't get stoned for blasphemy either. Um, so nothing makes sense in like, the trial of Jesus, for an example. And, and, you, and if you're taking your source materials, You've got the Gospel of John, who doesn't even try to match up the historical biography that we get from the other ones. Yeah. They're either in lockstep copying, cut and pasting Mark, literally, or they're twisting it and taking it in directions, adding to it, and going off in, in their own uh, directions, making their own theological statements about it. Mm. Okay, perfect. Guys, you got a question for David? No. <laughs> I've answered all the questions. Yay! My work is no, no, I, just, I, I just appreciate the way you handle the material, you know, in such a logical way, but, but it, it's not beyond a layman's understanding of what happened, and you set this up to really make me more curious to read to read the book, which is which is great. It, it just oh. leads the listener and the reader down so many different different paths to get information, um, both for for your your own uh, uh, pleasure and, and knowledge, and also to have as debate material. You know, if that is the kind sure. of activity that you that you enjoy. So thank you, yeah. thank you for both. Yeah, I can. Which is not a question. I'm so glad you said that because that's exactly what I wanted to do because the, there's awesome books out here on the subject um, but they're huge books and they're dense books and we don't have a lot of really accessible material to it and I'm happy to be like the the, the you know the, the greeter at Walmart who <laughs> welcomes you into this and says if you're looking for that you want to go over here and that, go a little deeper and get over here no I'm and it's very great. happy to be that no and it's I great that, that you did divide it because now it's so portable people who are on a plane and want to read a book they don't need to have something the size of a watermelon to try and you know <laughs> put in their bag to carry so it, it, it was a it was a brilliant way to make it more interesting and and more affordable and and um, more portable. I'm right. so glad you thought so because I spent many sleepless nights going, oh no, it's going to be three books. I, no one's going to buy three books. <laughs> I can say I'm going to be purchasing the books. I, oh, I'm brilliant. in discussions with that same apologist that uh, Kevin was talking about, and he's trying some hard to convince me there was a Jesus. And of course, I just tell him, well, reserve judgment on that because I don't have any evidence. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, I could, I could hardly put down uh, in the book the the ten uh, myth the uh, the Jesus. I could I could hardly put it down. I just went through it like like that, uh, and right. I can't wait to 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 see your new book. And uh, speaking of your uh, your book over there, <laughs> <I'm not sure. laughs> he, he's pointing your, your, to your it. previous book. How successful was that one, David? For you, it's still selling. It's still selling, and we actually just released a Portuguese translation for Brazil and Portugal, and I'm really excited about that. To see. How that takes off. All these books came out um, basically in the same week, uh, two weeks ago. So this is all brand new stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Excellent, excellent. All right. Well, you know what, uh, David? Thank you so much for your time. Uh, but now the mic is all yours. 
feel free, be shameless, promote yourself, my friend. Go right ahead. Where can people find you? Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm delighted to be here, first of all. Thanks for having me back, you guys. Um, the best way to find me is just go on Facebook and up either The Complete Heritage Guide to Western Religion or David Fitzgerald and uh, find me that way. Uh, you know, I will tell you this. Uh, I learned something interesting. If you've got an, uh, the ebook, mm-hmm. if you have a Kindle book, you can actually have your author autograph a Kindle now. So <laughs> ask me about that. They've got a, a program for that that lets you do that. If you want an autographed copy of the hard copy book, I'm very happy to, to sell that directly to your listeners. So just contact me directly and say, yeah, I w- I'd like to get a, a hard copy book. And I will do it, I think, even as cheap or if not cheaper than Amazon would do it anyway. So, so, oh, tell Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> so, so if I send you a, my, my copy of the book with the uh, little uh, toaster oven. No, no, you don't have to do that. No, but I can send it with a toaster oven called... at the same time, right? <laughs> well, <there was> a... <laughs> Sorry, I missed all that. It's funny. <laughs> uh, uh, there is a website called Authorgraph. And um, I'll put a link on my page if I don't have one already. But yeah, yeah basically, you look me up, and there's the books that you and yeah. Yeah, send us a link. We'll put it in the notes of the show too. That'd be great. Got it. Now, Dave, we, uh, this is the your third time. Now you're you're like in first place with Arn Raw as the most frequent <laughs> guest on the <our> show. <laughs> but before I let you go, can I get you to say hi? I'm David Fitzgerald, and I took a left at the valley. Hi, I'm David Fitzgerald, and I took a left at the valley. And that was David Fitzgerald, the one, the only. We just love this guy. I, I was just going to say this. I just love him. He's got knowledge. He's got enthusiasm. He just relates to whoever he's talking to. He's just so down to he, earth. He's totally relatable. That's he, the thing. Right? He really is. Can, I, I know I can't marry him, but I wonder, can, <laughs> I, can I adopt him? Is there a way I can ad- adopt him? I mean, Gallagher, Fitzgerald. No, that's, that's not going to work either. we, we got to figure out a way to get this guy. Yes, get this guy a personal Canadian. relative. Yeah, Ooh. something. <laughs> you know, I... I, I, I you know, sometimes when you deal with the uh, historicity of Jesus, it's it's a very heavy topic, and you deal with Richard Carrier and Robert Price and very heavy duty academics and stuff like that. And sometimes you have a hard time understanding them, especially if you're, if you're a dumbass like myself. But David is just brings it in a, in a tone that I totally understand. That I totally relate to him, and just right away, you can't help. Yeah, he really him. does. I mean, he was questioning whether or not people would buy three books, but I think when you buy the first book, how could you not oh, yeah, buy the sure, other two? Sure. And I will be. I will know. be for sure. Yeah, I mean, like and I then said, you can get them autographed. Oh yes, yeah. yeah. we'll have to send him that little toaster oven at the same time. <laughs> 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 well, guys, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. <laughs> uh, coming up next week we'll be talking about revisiting dying with dignity that should be Sue Houston one of my favorite people we haven't talked about that for a while it's a heavy subject and on the 15th we'll have our debate our Easter debate with Chris Christensen versus Tyler friend of the show and on the 22nd we'll be talking to Kara Santa Maria power lineup yes power lineup and I'm not sure exactly what's happening after that but we'll We'll stay tuned with all that stuff. <laughs> well, I don't know. Can we top it after those three? We're that's our challenge. Oh, I think so. <laughs> we so, always do, don't we? You can follow us at leftofthevalley.com. You can follow us on Facebook, on, uh, on uh, Twitter. You can send us an email at leftatvalley@outlook.com. You can send our complaints to Nancy at leftofthevalley.com. <laughs> Third floor. <laughs> Third floor. <laughs> <laughs> Send us an email. Tell us what you think. Would you like to hear anything? We're all very open. Hey, we can even bring you on the show if you want to at some point. That's not a problem. 
Anything you guys want to talk about besides that? Or we done? No, it's a gorgeous day. We had a great show. Let's go do it and wait for next week. That's right. Sunshine. sunshine. We need sunshine. <laughs> Enjoy your week, guys. Until next time. Say that horse isn't real, but Jesus is. Or Zeus, Thor, or Mithra, Vishnu, you don't believe in them. I think the reason is apparent. You do what you're told and believe in the God assigned by your parents. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims. That's something to be ashamed. I'm an atheist. Something to be ashamed, I'm an atheist, atheist, atheist.